Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Alex, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I just finished a uh, five-hour wrestle marathon today. Feeling Gross. great. Gross. Body doesn't hurt at all. Grind matches, question mark? Uh, Oh, no, no quite grind matches. A lot of live. A lot of live, but also some good technique. Eh, that's dope. Were you like wrestling, wrestling the whole time? Or were you coaching the whole time? A little bit of both. Um, my first practice every Tuesday, I do grappling with the fight team at Factory X. Um, it's been good to kind of build camaraderie as well as give myself some new skills, but also, um, yeah, be with those guys and see what they go through on a practice. And then we have them on Wednesday. So I kind of get a preview of the uh, load that they've been under. Yep. And then uh, new new this year, I started coaching a high school wrestling team, um, and that's gone really well doing their strength stuff as well as technically rest or technical coaching. And I've been um, mixing it in on Tuesdays and, and, and other days, giving them some live looks. There's a couple of uh, potential state champs in the room, and they need extra little competition, and I can provide that. You get taken down by any high schoolers yet? I have not. I have a bet with the best kid, and if he gets a takedown during a live go, I have to shave my beard. Oh, please don't do that. You look weird without a beard. I have not gotten to. He got close today. He got close today because I wrestled five hours, and I was exhausted at the end of this two-and-a-half-hour practice. So, uh, But no, he's good. Uh, Shout-out Aiden Cartwright. I doubt he listens, but uh, if he does, he's a state champ this year. That's what he's going for. That's his goal. He's committed to Loris College to wrestle. So, gross. Um, Why do you do that? I know, right? Uh, sure. But Iowa, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah, I guess. I feel like you could have talked. To, I feel like you could have talked to Mandela Cross a little bit. Uh, I think. Well, I mean, I came on the scene a little late to have that type of influence in his life. Instant impact, Alex. That's what we shoot for. Anyways, this isn't a freestyle episode. I was just asking you about <laughs> your day. I don't know how we how got. Was, on how that. was your day, Austin? It was good, but it was long. I traveled all day yesterday. They're all long. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. None of them are short. No, it was good. One got a COVID test because I'm going to a concert tomorrow with one of my uh, one of the people I work with. So yeah, a COVID test in order to go to the venue. Who are you going to see? Uh, Steve's company. I don't know. Something he had an extra ticket. It's like a electronic, but it's mixed with like brass. So it's not like it's not like an idiot. It's not like a rave type setting. It's like this electronic duo, um, and then they pair up with like actual instruments and they play through it. So think about almost like a, I th- I think it's gonna be like Trans Siberian Orchestra type shit, but not Christmas music. That's what I'm thinking it's gonna be. I have no idea though. Okay, we'll see. Well, um, it'll be exciting. It'll be good. the best. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, Anyways, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this. And today we're going to be talking about uh, genetic component into strength conditioning. So I've had this talk um, with our coaches a little bit, as well as coaches across the country that, that whether they reach out or whether I just meet them at different events. And um, they asked me how much do you think strength and conditioning actually plays into what they, what, what people do, like how much is your job percentage wise in what, in what they do and in, in their training and in their overall success. And I, I like the number 15%. I think 15% is a very good number. If we're thinking ancillary things like strength and conditioning. Um, but, and I think a strong component of that is genetics. I think that's one of the reasons why it's not more. 
I think if genetics didn't play a factor realistically uh, in my head, like if, if what we could do, if genetic barriers weren't set in place, it, it might be up to 30%. It might double. But as far as genetics go, genetics are also always going to give you a personal ceiling, right? They're always going to limit you and or let you thrive. But that that is something that I feel like doesn't get talked enough, talked about enough is no matter how hard somebody works, no matter the program, no matter how much of a wizard the strength coach is in front of them or, or healthcare practitioner, whatever, there are certain genetic predispositions that may not set you up for success, no matter what you do, whether, whether it be your cardio isn't great because there's a, um, a heart issue or an iron issue or an oxygen intake issue, or from a strength factor, it could be that you just aren't, you don't come from an evolutionary background where you can put on strength well. And while you can increase your strength, there's going to be caps. And a lot of them, it's capped from genetics and from your genetic uh, predispositions. But Alex, I want to get your take on it because I've had these talks with a bunch of people, but we've never actually talked about this. Yeah, it's an interesting factor. Um, I think, like you said, everybody has their kind of genetic predisposition or um, the way that I kind of qualify this is uh, back to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to uh, Augie and Eric from Landau, it's like each person has their kind of genetic superpower, right? Like, like some guys, you can tell they're just cardio monsters and they, they've, and of course they've done hard work to build themselves up to there, but the genetic blueprint was there from the start. And that's kind of how I look for like, like at it, um, the superpower, like if you're built to be strong, you could be strong, but you still have to put the work in to be strong. Right. Or like right. if you're built to be in a, a cardio monster and have a super high pace you still have to put the work in to have the conditioning to do that. Um, and that's not saying like Austin said that we can't improve on every other kind of stat bar, every other strength quality, athletic quality. It's just, those are going to be a little slower growing pains and um, the ceiling probably isn't that high, which is okay. Cause we should adapt our program to each individual in front of us. But um, going back to what you said about strength and conditioning can make like a 15% impact. Um, I generally agree with that. It's like one of the smaller, more ancillary like parts, like obviously your technical, uh, strategy, technique, everything like that's going to dominate, um, this wheel of success. But the thing I like to think about, I like to say about strength conditioning is, is pretty much a non-negotiable, like, right. You may, you may get to the dance without it, or you may be able to skeet by without it. But if you want to get to the top, the tip top of your potential, and uh, perform at your absolute best, it's it's a no-brainer. You have to be doing strength and conditioning. You have to be doing some type of athletic performance training. Right. right. You, could, you could be good, but you'll never be great. Right. Like, And it's just a box that you're leaving unticked, right? If we're not doing strength and conditioning, it's like the potential is there. And, and I've had this argument too, where like, oh, our most skilled guys aren't really strong or our most skilled guys excuse me, our most skilled guys don't do a lot of strength and conditioning because they don't have to like, sure. Yeah. That's, that may be correct. They they've really leaned on their technique and skill to get them where they're at. That's fucking amazing. Now my job as a strength coach is like, can I put some athleticism in front of that? Right. Why? Give them some athletic qualities and then how much better are they going to be? Right. Why would you brag about that? Like an, an easy parallel into like my world as a business owner is there's businesses all the time that always like brag about, oh, I've never had to market ever. 
I've never had to pay for marketing. I've never, I've never had to do a Facebook ad, but they keep getting word of mouth referrals. Well, how much more, how many more people would you reach if you like, why are you bragging about that? That's just telling me you're leaving shit on the table. That's what I get when people say, I, I don't have to, my, my best players, my best athletes, they're not doing strength conditioning. They're not doing it. They're not the guys that are the strongest. I'm like, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm happy for them that their technique or their genetics or their body style or their type are so good that they could get to that point. But what the fuck are we leaving on the table if they're not doing this? That's a fit. Like I said, or like you said, that's a 15% non-negotiable. Guess what? If that's 15% of what this athlete can do, if you're not doing it, then you're only operating at 85%. Yeah. And the, the like genetic component too, is like, you're going to have a lot of skill sets um, just based on how um, your again, genes play out and what you're predisposed to. And I mean, I think that to an extent, like, obviously we can't impact that, right? We have no control over yet. Yet. Yeah. CRISPR's coming along, but um, you got to take what's in front of you and then you can do the best with it. Like the other thing I think about genetics too, is just because you may not be predisposed to be like, let's say a really good cardio guy. You may not be predisposed to be super powerful or super slow twitch, things like this. It's a long, slow process, right? Like, I think that's something that we in our like immediate gratification world forget is like, all right, I got a guy that's really type one. He's really explosive. He's, um, and he's like live, made his living getting knockouts. Right. But he struggles to get into the fifth round or he struggles to get into the third round at a high pace. And it's like, that's fine. I probably need, you know, three, four, five, six months to build up an aerobic base. Like if, especially if somebody's never taken that time to do it in their life. All right. So I think that's the other thing is like, we have to be patient about some of these things that we're, we're trying to build our, uh, our athletic qualities and, and almost like go against the grain with genetics, if you will. And that's not saying I'm trying to transform somebody from a, a power knockout guy into a cardio guy. I'm trying to give him another weapon in his toolbox, tool belt. Right. So, exactly. um, I think we just have to be understanding that like slow cooking the process and, and, and giving guys time to adapt time to, you know, genuinely change the way that they operate, um, especially when genetics and, and that type of influence is involved. For sure. Like I just had that talk recently. I have a, a heavyweight boxer. I think he's top. I think now he's like top 15 in the country or some bullshit, um, high ranking. And I, he's undersized. And I'm like, dude, this is like a, I just want you to know, this is like a year to two year process. If you want to be able to move the way you move, but put on, I think he's 230, but we want to get him up to about 250, 255. Like you want to put on that type of weight and move the way that you're moving. This is, you got to be patient. You got to trust the process and it's going to be frustrating through it. You're going to feel slow at times. You're going to feel groggy at times, or maybe you're not seeing the progression in weight gain that we're wanting. But trust me, as long as we follow the process and we're doing what we're supposed to do, it's going to get done. And that's, uh, you're right. That's the one thing I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about is they want quick results. They want the eight week fight camp, which shout out to Joel Jamison. He does, he made a fuck ton of money off his book, but it's one of those things that in real shape in eight weeks though. Right. Exactly. It's, it's fake shit. It's you're, you're affecting it a little bit. It's the real gains are made the next 12 weeks after that, when the good athletes take that time off to spend with their family or whatever, take a break. And the great athletes, the legends, the, the people that make a difference and are going to be in the history books, they go back in in a week or two and they're training for 12 weeks while that other person's taking off the two months. Oh, that, totally that, agreed. That's where the gains are made. And, and that's 
the process. That's what I'm talking about. Every time I tell one of my athletes, trust the process, fight camp's easy. Like I know you're cutting weight. I know you're doing all these different things, but on the strength conditioning side, it sounds terrible, but strength and conditioning in fight camp is the easiest shit you're going to do. <laughs> like if you prepared adequately out of camp. Correct. Yeah. But it, it should be the easiest shit of the year is if you're in, in camp and you're focusing on your power development, or you're focusing on your fast switch shit and you're doing a lot of med ball work, the yeah. real grueling, the hard, the stuff that you have to trust the process. That's the three months out of camp, the four months out of camp in between where you got to focus on the deficits. You got to focus on the floors, not the ceilings. And, yeah. and that's where a lot of people don't want to trust the process or that's where Unfortunately, that's where people switch coaches. Yeah. And just look for yes men. But like I think too, this genetics conversation can go in a couple of different interesting directions. The first interesting direction that I want to take it is I am very curious, you know, as far as we go with the process of like sexual maturity and hitting puberty and and um that realm of things, that's really when you get to truly express your genetics. Like that's when we find out, you know, this kid's gonna be a strong super beast or um He's got that cardio factor, whatever. It's like when you see that development happening, Austin, I'm, and I'm curious too, and I, I just have had this ponder for a while. Do you think how you train and what you do before you hit puberty has an effect on how you express some genes coming out on the other end of puberty? Um, yeah, I'd like to preface that this is coming from an uneducated opinion. Yeah, this- no, this is all just hypothetical and Um, I'm not an expert on this in any way, shape or form, but what I, what I would say is I would assume that the way that you train, because we do know that environment dictates ways that you mature, right? It's that nature versus nurture. And we know both of them actually have a play in what goes on and how you mature. I would, I would say that the ways that you train do have an effect but only to a certain extent. I think yeah. nature is always going to be something in the background that is either going to enhance or limit your performance. And then the nurture aspect allows how well, I guess you can express the genes or express the qualities that your nature has then given you, or your nature has allowed you to, I guess, excel at, because you're probably going to pick the ones you're good at for the most part. Yeah. And that's an interesting point too, is like how many really good athletes could have been great if they chose a different sport. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or if they cho- chose the mo- most applicable sport. And like that brings a huge, like cultural, sociopolitical, everything aspect into um, this kind of gene discussion. But, you know, if I have a six foot three kid who runs cost country and gets super good time, really super good shape, but he wants to be a state champion wrestling like that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not mad about that. I like, absolutely. I want the best for this kid. And and I want it to play out the best of his ability, but it's like, is that what he's built for? Is that, is that the most fitting type of um, arrangement? And so um, it's an interesting kind of debate that goes on in my head as far as like, and I don't think anybody should go like retroactively about this and like try and train their kid to be a super cardio monster. And then they have, uh puberty and that's like okay then when they come out of puberty they'll have be super cardio monster i think that's um a little bullheaded of an approach. no dude i mean i've fuck i mean i've i've been there i ran a 508 mile when i was 14 but i fucking hate running <laughs> <laughs> like uh like it's it's one of those things that if you that's where nature comes in is if you don't enjoy it you a you're good at it but if you don't enjoy it 
to the, even though you're good at it, you're not going to continue that skill. Like I got asked to do cross country when I ran that, uh, the cross country coach w- was my gym teacher when I ran that fucking mile and I laughed at him. <laughs> oh, that's not happening. I hate this. Yeah. Right. And I went, I continued to wrestle. I have no doubt in my mind that if I would have picked the thing that I'm probably, I, I mean, the way I wrestle and the way that I move and the way that I know I operate, I'm a cardio machine. I'm not fast twitch. I'm not explosive. I'm not strong. I, that's how I won most of my matches is I just really don't get tired very much. And, but I know if I would have picked a different sport where I didn't have to cross train as much, I probably would have done a lot better and I would have been able to accomplish a lot more things. Um, but, but that's where nature comes in. That's where, if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to fucking pick it no matter what. And and that's an interesting word in topic two. So I guess that would be nurture, not nature, by the way. Right. But But like cross training too, that's an interesting word. So do you think that like just exposing, so let's take an MMA athlete. Um, Let's say they're they're super cardio monster, right? Um, we got somebody that sets a pace on you and just can go ham, Max Holloway. Um, and we talk about cross training. How beneficial is it him and his off camp to increase his cap bar deadlift bench press by 30, 40 pounds? I think it depends on it's a tough one. I think it would depend on his previous performance and if that's a limiting factor. If the limiting factor is his strength, if he consistently is getting held down or if he's getting dominated from a strength perspective, I think that would help him. I think that would be, should be, and would help him as a a main focus of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and that's my personal opinion that there's no science behind that. Um, And then, but I do think that, and this, I guess, directly court or gets in the way of my Mario Kart analogy, but. I guess I feel like a lot of people do only focus on weaknesses out of camp or, or when they have more time to train when in reality, maybe, I mean, there's a lot of people that are specialists. I mean, Ryan Hall, Ryan Hall is a perfect example. Um, and, and he's just one, there's a Crone Gracie. There's a lot of them. And I feel like a lot of people focus on the weaknesses instead of just highlighting strengths. I, I would like to see studies done. If you can do studies on that, on focusing on strengths and weaknesses, maybe it'd be like retrospective training studies um, and focusing on strength and weaknesses and seeing which one actually has leads to overall better results. Yeah. Do you think a MMA team, and this kind of gets into my setting um, at Landau performance, the are two probably biggest Elite sport populations are NFL football guys and MMA fighters. Do you think, barring tactical and skill advantages, do you think a MMA team would get better if they did a football offseason program? And I'm not saying that's what we do, by the way. I'm just hypothetically throwing oh, I, Yeah, I think everybody knows that's not what you guys do. <laughs> you guys are one of the best gyms in the goddamn world. Um, mm, yes. And the reason I say that is because most most MMA fighters have a low training age. So no matter what stimulus you throw at them, they're going to benefit. I think high train, the higher the training age, the less it's going to help the athlete personally. Uh, so the other interesting direction I kind of want to see this too is like, um, and this gets into like the sports gene by David Epstein. Have you read that Fantastic book? book. Yeah. It's a really good book. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge reference. For Tiger versus uh, Federer. It's right. one of the best analogies ever in sport. But let's... Think about it this way, and, and I really like the example that um, he brings up. He talks about, um, I think, and I, again, this is super obscure, Alaskan um, sled dogs. Yeah. And he talks about the genetic mentality that is bred into them, right? They didn't breed um, the sled dogs 
based upon which dog was the fastest or which one had the most ability. They bred the sled dogs on which dog wanted wanted to run and grind the most. Yep. Had just an intense desire to run and pull the sled. And they bred that mentality into their other dogs. And that was the, uh, oh God, I forget the name of the dog. Um, but that was the Malamute. No, I I forget the like actual name of the dog. Zion maybe. Oh, I know. Zeus. Yeah. Zeus. Zeus. Yes. Yes. But they bred the one that was at the top. Remember he was at the top of the goddamn mountain. That was a cool story. And all of his puppies are down in the pens below. He, he had the intense work ethic and desire to pull the sled, to always run to, and that's what they tried to breed. And again, fairly successfully bred into all the other dogs. Do you think mentality has a huge mental component as well? Well, the cool thing about that is that's nature and nurture. Cause you yeah. know, that's how he's going to treat his kids. Right. So it's not yeah. only the genetics that he's passing along, but that's how he's going to treat them from a nurture standpoint as well. Um, and that actually, I'm going to push the question, right? I don't want to talk the whole time. I'll push the question right back to you. Cause we just talked about this earlier today. Sure. That's how much do you think just, I guess, confidence you can just guilt build in the weight room. How much is does confidence and, or just the mental aspect, it could be genetic or whatever plays in overall performance because I, or an overall strength conditioning's aspect on performance. Yeah, man. Huge. I think the mentality aspect and especially like if we're talking about like confidence from the weight room has a huge beneficial um, effect on our training. Like I would almost give that up to like 50%, you know, like um, when we had Bo Sandoval on, he said something really smart and it's kind of stuck with me to this day. It's like, if your athlete shows up to a training session, strength and conditioning or skill practice, whatever, if their head's not right and they haven't fueled appropriately, they're not going to get the most out of that training session. Right. So as we, if we think about practical priorities, like how can, you know, mental mentality, mental health and things like that, how can that not supersede our perceived training effects or our concrete training effects? Um, I, and I was telling Austin too, I think the confidence that you build through a strength conditioning program and whether it's a placebo effect or not, whether there's actual real results that we've been tracking, um, which is good strength coach would. Or, or if we, even if we track and we see an improvement, quote unquote, like this athlete trap bar deadlifted 20 pounds more from his last fight to this fight that honestly, like, again, you question the efficacy, like, is that 20 pound strength difference going to make a difference in the cage? Right. Eh, right. Me. Yeah. I don't know. Like less than 15% for sure. But the confidence and the attitude that this athlete is well-prepared and that they have put in the necessary work and that they think that they're stronger so they can go for the stand-up or they can work their way through a tie that they wouldn't, that's going to carry over into the cage a lot more. Right. I think it depends upon does the athlete think they're weak or does the athlete think they're strong? Yeah. If the athlete thinks that the strength is their deficiency, if you tell them they gained 20 pounds on their trap bar deadlift over the course of a camp, I think that's going to make them perform at a much higher level. If the athlete thought then if the athlete thought they were strong in the first place, and then you're like, oh, we just put on 20 pounds. I don't think that's going to have as much of an impact on the overall performance. I think that's where the actual mentality comes in that if the athlete thinks that that's one of their deficiencies and you show them objective measures that they're actually increasing in that field, I think that has an increased effect on the overall performance due to the effect on the site. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many like uh fighters i've been around that they have identified this uh 
like mentality, like placebo effect. You know, how many fighters have told you, you know, I hear what you're saying about the road work and the mileage. And I know it's probably not the best for, for me, but I just feel good. I feel ready when I run. Like I get confidence from that, you know, yep. or like, I just have to do it. That's what I have to put in. So I know I'm prepared. And like, I feel as though we need to give a lot of credence and a lot of respect to that aspect of training, right? Like, obviously we want them to do the smarter type of training and we want them to limit the wear and tear and the impact and everything like this. But if it's not a problem, which sometimes it's a problem for sure, but if it's not a problem and they feel good when they do it, why would you take it away? Well, no, I I actually have changed my stance on that recently. And it's, it's through talking with our head coach at fight ready Santino and he released, that's actually a really good video to watch. Uh, I think it's like an eight minute Instagram live video for people out there on Santino DeFranco's um, Instagram, but he released a video talking about how runners don't break. Runners are mentally more strong because you have to just find that area and just grind it out. And I used to be the guy that, cause I hate running. I just said that earlier on the podcast. I fucking hate it. I can't stand it. I'm never going to do it, mm-hmm. but I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not a professional fighter. So I used to not prescribe a whole bunch of road work. And we actually have a whole podcast talking about, do you really need road work? Which is one of our early podcasts. I've flipped my actual perspective on that topic recently after talking to Santino because of his ideas on the mental effect of running. I think it is still the lesser of the physical adaptations that we can have compared to the non-joint stressing versions of swimming or biking, whatever it may be. But I think the effect on the overall psyche of just being bored as fuck and not breaking and continuing to move forward while running, whether it be uphill, downhill at different terrains, mountain running, whatever. Um, I, I think that that needs to be taken into account in the overall effect on the athlete and the overall effect on their performance. Because if we're, if we're just looking at physical, I will guarantee I'll put my entire life on the fact that running is less superior. It is, it is lesser than the other non joint stressing alternatives, but physically, that's what I'm saying. But in an overall capacity, when we take into the entire, the entire body, the entire effect on performance with the mental aspect added in, it might be the number one, or at least one of the top choices that somebody can pick up there with the aerodyne, up there with the Versa Climber for prolonged exposure running. Because in order to do it at that prolonged exposure for that long period of time, you got to find a dark ass place. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think it's just like pushing through the boredom and making it happen. I think it's the, the comfort with discomfort. You know, like yep. when you're running and if you're truly pushing it, like it sucks. Like I hate feeling out of shape. I hate getting tired, but pushing on anyway. And that's like one of the biggest qualities of running that's difficult to overcome. And I think wrestlers, like how much have we and everybody else talked about like amateur wrestlers preparing as hard as they do. Right. I think that comfort with like a high ass drilling pace, mm-hmm. right. You know, we tell our fighters all the time, like, where does most of your condition come from? your pace and drilling. If you up your pace and drilling and you're slightly out of breath the whole time, I guarantee you're going to be in better shape. Yep. Right. And how many athletes, you know, go out and then, Oh, let's talk about this move. I know this one. I'm going to kind of dick around and, and see if I can pull off a trip or pull or off. My most frustrating thing is 30 minute breakouts from coaches to talk about the different intricacies of the fucking move. God damn it. Just let them be athletes, <laughs> right? Let them be athletes. And then like, if you haven't drilled it at least a hundred times, if you haven't drilled this specific move, the way that coach is telling it, the way that you're supposed to execute it, if you haven't drilled it at least a hundred times, 
you don't have a question. Yep. You have zero question. Yep. You don't know if it fits well. I don't really like this. It's not going to fit into my game. It's because you're horrible at it. You've never tried it. You're not good at it. Yep. Try it. See yep. if it helps. See if it works. Sorry. A little ranting. But that's fine. I feel the exact same way. Too many people just write shit off, myself included, when I was an athlete. I was the worst at that. I was like, I literally told a coach one time, fuck that. I think I told Ross Needham. I think I remember that. I told Ross, go fuck yourself. I'm never going to use that. (laughs) And he just laughed. And that was lit. Now that I'm a coach, I'm like, that is the worst mentality you possibly ever could have. Because just because you're bad at it the first time you did it does not mean you're going to be bad at it forever. Yeah. Do every coach ever a favor and like the move that of the day that you're drilling, the sequence, the whatever you're going through that day, try it in your live rounds. Just try and, it. And don't just add in your own shit. Another thing, that's a very frustrating thing. And also something I do. If we're doing single legs, this is turning into a rant, but I don't care. Uh, if we're doing single legs and we're hitting a single leg and we specifically ask you to do a certain finish, there is a reason behind that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, we're going to hit singles, but just finish whatever takedown you want. If I said that, then do that. But there's a reason why I asked you to do this certain sequence. If you don't, if you just decide to freestyle on your own, because it doesn't fit into your game, you're never going to expand. The greats don't do that. The goods do that. You got really, really good at seven sequences. And that allowed you to be good. That allowed you to maybe get into the UFC. You want to be ranked. You want to be top five. Guess what? Those are the people that don't say, I'm never going to do that. Those are the people that say, okay, they try it a bunch of times. And after maybe a thousand times, they're like, oh, I might use that once or twice. But they tried it and gave it a chance. Um, rant over. Yeah. Genetics and athletic performance. Um, oh, man, I had a really good question. Um, I probably had a really good answer, too. You, you just you ranted it out of my mind. Good. I mean, one thing I would like to talk about is, and, and and get your opinion on is, do you think that genetics, so we, we know genetics has an effect on performance, right? We've talked about that. What overall percentage, if in that 15% is genetics? 10, maybe 10. So you think, yeah. you think about half of what you can, you think you can play with about half of what we can do as a strength coach. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's right. But like, right, not sorry, not half. That would be two thirds. That was yeah. really shitty. I half. mean, genetic advantages, and that's hard like to break it just into the strength and conditioning realm. Um, if we think about overall performance, and I'm thinking about percentages, like, you know, mentality is up to like 50, you know, technique and um, execution. That's like 30, 40, maybe higher, maybe mentality's 40, maybe execution's 40. Um, the role that genetics play, um, and I mean, we've been proved wrong and proved and proved and proved again that like anybody that dials in and works hard and um, goes through kind of the upcoming of a fighter and goes through that training can make it right. But well, what think, do you, oh, no, I'm going to pause you right away. What do you think is more important, passion or work ethic? Passion or work ethic is hard. I think you need both. What do you mean? Do you think like talent? No, versus I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I know passion or work ethic. Passion or um, work ethic. Well, I mean, passion. Because you're not like exactly your point earlier, you're not going to work hard at something you fucking hate yep. unless there's other motivators. And even then you're not going to work as hard as you can. Then why do we, why I brought that up is then why do we only focus on trying to get our kids to work hard instead of actually loving the sport that they're doing? Because uh, not very many parents, coaches have great perspectives on their kids' accomplishments, especially in sports. But that, and that's a different argument, right? That's nature versus nurture. That, that is in, in effect, a part of the genetic actual talk that we're talking about is if, if we 
if I, I agree, I think passion is also more important than work ethic, but we only try to get our kids. We only try to get our student athletes. We only try to get our college athletes our professional athletes to focus on, Hey, let's work hard. Let's get the work done. Instead of having fun in practice, then we're doing them a disservice. If we, if we can all agree that we think the passion for what you do is more important than just having a work ethic, then that needs that needs and should be one of the top priorities at with which you plan your practices with which you plan your season which w- with which that you talk to your athletes and how you interact with them about the sport if we only focus on them working hard and we don't focus on them uh, focus on them trying to create a passion a true passion for what they're doing then i think that's a disservice to the athlete and that's a disservice to the sport too yeah i totally agree i mean i think the passion's got to be there and like and you'll find your passion through different uh ways too. like sometimes the passion comes first i love doing this thing i'm going to pursue it to the end other things like the passion comes later like i'm going to work really hard at this thing and this is um something that has been either pushed on me or that i've done and then like and then you get good at it and you identify with it and it becomes a passion like Mm -hmm. there's no really no rules for that but um yeah i think passion and having fun is is should be a higher priority on most um especially youth sporting events so yeah don't disagree with you there. God, that question is still skipping my mind. Hmm. Um, I wonder too, something I've always thought about is I wonder if you could test, and I know genetic testing is is relatively preliminary right now, but genetically test four different markers that could impact like decision-making. Is this person a risk taker or not? Because we know that risk aversion and having having a relatively high risk aversion is beneficial for every single sport, like stuff like that. I wonder, I wonder if we could actually get genetic testing done that could benefit directly benefit our athletes and how far away from that we are. I'm sure at some level and some price tag, you can get that done. Or you can have that done. I just think, um, I don't even know if we really need that though. Like, well, that I'm talking about mostly for kids when I say athletes, like that's like a, like, I don't know. I, it's, it's one of those things that I would, I would like to see if it could benefit. I feel like that could be a factor or it could be a sector that could grow. I think if you do that with kids, you're taking it too seriously and you're contradicting the passion argument that we just made. That's true. I don't know. I mean, but then you could just tell the kid, yeah, I guess that's a direct, I don't know. I don't know. This is what I struggle with when I think about this type of stuff. Cause you want the kid to succeed or you want the athlete to succeed at all points in time, but you don't want the number one thing you never want as a coach is the kid that spends his entire life learning the sport only to be just okay at it forever. The number one I thing I do not want for my kid is to spend his life pursuing a sport that he doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my biggest thing is like, I give a shit less if my kids go to sports. I want them to try. And I think there's uh, lessons and obviously like it's a part of my life. So there's going to be some type of, of nature that goes along with that. But, and I've had this kind of uh, perspective with a lot of the youth athletes, athletes that I work with, you know, I have a couple of youth athletes, their dads were super high performing athletes right? They understand what it takes to be there, what it had, what they have to do to get there. And with their kids, it's like all pressures off. They have fun, let them develop, like whatever, like yeah. they're trying to find that passion. Right. And then you have the dad who's never done anything hard in his life. He's never, you know, maybe he wrestled varsity in high school or he wrestled it, JV three years or some right. shit. He is yeah. the hardest goddamn yeah. critic of his son, daughter, whatever. And it's like, you don't understand the the dedication development like there's plenty of time for that shit 
when your kid gets to college, when your kid wants to pursue a professional mm-hmm. career, when your kid, whatever, uh, is going for a state championship. Like, don't need it when he's 10. Yeah. Dude, you see that pattern time and time again. Like down, like down here, one of my friends, Angel, Angel Cejudo, his – his son is, I think, 12 now or something like that. And he didn't let him compete in a tournament until this year. He's been like kind of wrestling here and there his whole life and like learning some skills. But he he said, he's like, I'm not even letting him compete. I want him to love wrestling. I want him to love wrestling so much that he bugs me every day before I let him go compete in a tournament. Because And, and the reason being and, and why I bring that up is He's like, because I know how much it can take from you if you don't get to your goals. So I want my, I want my kid to love it so much that he's going to do every single thing possible to get to his goals because, and I've been there, you've been there, obviously angels, one who said it. So he's been there, but if you don't succeed with, if you don't reach those goals, you got to have something else. You got, you got to be able to move to something else or else it's a deep, dark road. And that's, and, and where I'm going with that is that's what I don't want for my kid. I don't want him his whole life to have this goal in his head and his genetics get in and he wants to be a D D one national champ and his genetics and maybe his work ethic or, but genetics in particular don't allow him to get to that point. He puts in all the work as the person next to him. He puts in double the amount of work as the person next to him, but he doesn't get to the same goal as that same person due to his genetic predisposition. So inherently there, you don't think you can outwork poor genetic. I think it's hard. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I, I really don't. I think that's, yeah. that's proven time and time again by the gym class hero. Like that's why that's, that's a saying is the kid that tries really, really, really hard. And, and maybe here and there you get a Rudy case, but mm-hmm. you ever notice that, that Rudy was in for one fucking play in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole feel good movie about this guy that finally makes it on the field. He's practicing so hard. He's in for one fucking play. Like that's not what I want for my kid that and nor, nor do I want that for any of my athletes. It's not just a kid. Like yeah. I want my athletes to succeed and I want them to have the best likelihood for success and working hard is a useful and it's a necessary trait, but it, it will never in my mind ever outweigh genetics. And I think too, like, all those examples of like people that say like chase your dreams, you work hard enough at anything you're going to get there. And especially like in the UFC, it's like, it's like guys like I worked so hard for this. This is why I came. And then they like pan out and that's the dude that's like chiseled and oh yeah, again, uh, yeah. Adonis, like a dude, you only ever hear the success stories. You never hear yeah. the failures. Like for history, sure, yeah. history <laughs> favors the winner every mm-hmm. single time. So like for every one Yoel Romero, <laughs> there's there's 40 cubans that don't make it yeah Amen. so like it and that's that's the frustrating thing about genetics is that some people are dealt a shittier hand well what's the what's the strategy to work through that then um if you if you're you know you're not outside of being realistic sure be realistic but like let's say that i have crazy i'm francis Ngannou in his first ufc fight got crazy yeah. knockout power right but I get drugged into the third round and holy shit. I mean, the third round, like how do, how do we work around that? I think the number one thing you got to do is what we talked about earlier. It's it's, if that is something that you truly want to change while you can't outrun your genetics, 
you still can work on your floors. You can lift your floors as high as they go. And no matter what, humans were built to be a little bit longer lasting machine. You can go 15 minutes of high intensity work. You can go 25 minutes of high intensity work. Humans were built to be robust physical engines. So even though you're not going to be, no matter what, no matter what Francis Ngannou does, he is not Kamaru Usman. He is not Colby Covington. He is not right. Max Holloway. He will never, ever, ever, no matter how hard he trains, gets to that point. But what you can do is you, you can get your limitations as high up as they can go. So the number one thing I would say is you have to trust the process. And you got to know that it's going to fucking suck. And every single day you go into strength and conditioning or every single day you focus on a conditioning session for your skill per specific work. If you're focusing on a weakness, you can't go into it with a negative mindset. Because that's the number one thing is if you get frustrated over and over again, because you're only focusing on weaknesses, I see it all the time when we focus on weaknesses out of camp is you get turned off from the sport in front of you. You got to go into it with a champion's mindset. And that is, this is going to suck for a very long amount of time, but it's going to progressively suck less. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Amen. Um, Amen. Um, But I also think it's interesting too, like um, the ability to adapt from training is also a genetic component. Yeah. For sure. Right. So like you have your high responders, um, guys that like they pick up a barbell twice and all of a sudden 50 pound increase in their bench press. Yep. Right. Or you have the opposite too, guys that pick up a barbell 500 times and five pound increase on the bench press. Yep. So I think it's a uh, interest. It's important. You can identify that within some of your athletes. It's like, you know, if I'm in a peaking stage or we're pre and we're like late fight camp, let's think like, okay, is this guy going to be able to adapt to this? Like, dynamic power block that I have for him. So you're going to be able to make that adaptation in two or three weeks. Yep. Maybe, maybe not. If he's not, then it needs to be put in more work or again, and this is all contextualized based if it's your priority or not. But um, I think having that understanding of like high responders or, or low responders is important too. Well, yeah. And that, and that's a good point is that it comes down to the coach too. It comes down to, you can't expect athletes think they're superhuman. All of them do. If you're at that level, if you get to the UFC, you think you're a superhuman. Like it also comes down to the coach to be able to recognize what the physical limitations are of said athlete in front of them, not just skill strength coaches, skill coaches as well, healthcare practitioners, but understanding the athlete in front of you. And, and that comes from testing and all the other fun stuff is extremely important in this entire genetic equation. Because if, if there is a, a, I don't know, a a strength issue and they're not able to put on mass and they've been working through a protocol for six months. Well, guess what? Maybe this fucking athlete just can't really put on mass. It might not mean, it might not mean that they need to change up what they're doing. Like maybe they just genetically are at their peak output for that certain skill set, And that's something that a lot of people don't want to hear. And they kind of want to just skate by. And they want to just forget about that. And we're like, oh, somebody else will give me the right answer. Let's do that. And that just might not be the case. It might just be your maxed. Yeah. I specifically have an example like with like uh, acidity, uh, like tolerance or like lactate buffering ability. Like I have some, I have two athletes uh, uh, and their brothers, which is super interesting enough and non-scientific, super anecdotal. But these guys, they wrestled in high school. They play soccer or basketball at a high level. Like mm-hmm. they're good athletes. But then when I have them do like a lactate capacity circuit, they're going to puke period. Yep. Like there's no, there's zero negotiating about it. Like I could put no weight on the sled. I could do it. But if they go over that, like 45, 50, 60, uh, high intensity marker, mm-hmm. going to puke. 
period yep. you know and like uh, that's like you know something i can like somewhat train into them but like it's, it's i'm never gonna make them like lactate beasts right yeah so it's interesting it's interesting to see that and that's why it's so important as a as a coach to relate and to observe everything about your athletes like not just like is their performance going up it's like how well are they responding do they like this training should i change the methodology like um i think it all comes full circle as far as like feed the genetic superpower um optimize the weaknesses you know based on what's really barring them from performance and then get out of their way yep get out of get out of athletes ways more yeah literally my favorite cues are like be an athlete or like figure it out yep let an athlete be an athlete but yeah this is just something me and Alex were talking about so hopefully you guys enjoyed it please like share subscribe do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. If you got to get in touch with us, all of our info is in the show notes. That's going to be our emails, our website, and our Instagram handles. If you got to hit up the website, if you guys need any programming and or a low back program for previous low back patients, it's going to be a fantastic resource for you. So we have individual team low back programs. Like I said, uh, check out the buildingafighter.com website to get a hold of those. And as always, Dr. Awesome Chan, Alex Friedman, and we are out.